Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back once again with all of our listeners. What a blessing it is to be able to be with you each day right here on this program where we can come together and open up God's Word and study a little bit deeper, a little bit more fully, into the rich teachings and truths that He has provided for us in His Word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. We're really blessed in this country to be able to just have Bibles. Just that is a great blessing, such ready access to them. You know, if you can't afford a Bible, you can find somebody who will give you one for free. But most people have the opportunity and the ability to be able to buy a Bible, and you can buy one very inexpensively. In some stores, you can find one probably for a dollar. But you can find one that's a better quality, a little larger print perhaps, for maybe $10. Not much money. If you want to get fancy and get one that's, oh, kind of imitation leather and that has some resource helps in it and everything, well, you might spend $15 or $20. Well, boy, that's not much. Now, some people, they might think, well, $20 or $30 in a Bible, that's a lot of money. How long is that Bible going to last you? It'll probably be there for you. You'll probably still be using it 10, 15, maybe 20 years from now. You see, they don't wear out too fast, even if you use them regularly and consistently. But now, think about how much are you going to spend on a new car or even a used car if you go out and buy one? How many thousands or tens of thousands of dollars will you put into that? And how long will that last you before you find yourself trading it in on another car and picking up another new or used car payment? Well, you see, the comparison is uh, really like apples and oranges, isn't it? You're going to spend a whole lot of money on cars through your life than you are on Bibles. So don't think that if you end up finding a Bible that you really like for 20 bucks, that it's an outrageous price, or even $30 or $40, depending on what kind of leather you want and how many helps you want to have in it and the quality of the paper and all of that. It's going to last you better. It's going to serve you better and economically in comparison to many things that you are going to buy much more fully and much more responsibly, really, than uh, almost anything else. Well, so many things. You buy clothes. How much do you spend on a pair of pants or a top or a suit coat or a sport coat or a winter jacket? How much do you spend on those? And then how many years do you use them before you start buying others? Well, again, the comparison is really like apples and oranges. You're going to get far more value out of your Bible as far as years of use is concerned than so much more of what you end up spending money on and having to replace on a regular periodic basis much more quickly than you will in a Bible. And then think about anything that you buy in this world, a car, clothes, television, sporting goods equipment, workout equipment, even a house. Those are all things that are of this world. And John the Apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17 that this world is passing away. And so all of the things that are associated with this world are passing away as well. But 
the Bible contains God's very word to guide you to forgiveness and eternal life, to salvation in Christ Jesus. Now, none of those other things compare in quality and value to that. None of those other things can do that for you. And so, you see, when you think about the Bible, how valuable is it? It is infinitely valuable to your soul. How sad that so many people just leave their Bibles sitting on a shelf someplace, or maybe even on a closet shelf, or maybe they might display it on some coffee table or end table somewhere in their house, but they almost never open it up. How sad. Yet they'll go get in their car every day, maybe several times a day. They'll turn that television set on and maybe let it stay on all day long. But none of those things will get them to heaven. God's word will guide you to heaven. We want to help you along this line. At the end of the program, we'll give you the information by which you can contact us. So have a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper ready. Jot that down and then contact us. You can do that in various ways. Ask for the free Bible study that we offer. It is free. It is easy to understand. It is basic. It will teach you about God, about Jesus Christ, your Savior, about forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, the church, Christianity, all of those things. And you know what? It's free. We'll even take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program or any of the programs on Search the Scriptures on CD for free. And again, we'll take care of the postage. So be ready to take down that information in just a little bit. We're going to conclude the study that we've been looking at over the last several programs, talking about how the devil attacks our faithfulness. And specifically, we've been looking at seven attacks on our faithfulness. Now again, our faithfulness before God is the demonstration of our faith in and dedication to God. Faithfulness is our consistently living by his teachings. Now, God's word is described in the New Testament as the faith. And those teachings, the faith, is that upon which our faith is based. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so as we learn God's word, we understand it and we believe it and we make the proper applications to our lives, we live by it, that's how our faith develops. And as we live by those teachings consistently, then that's faithfulness. And Jesus himself said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the devil is our enemy, as we've been emphasizing in this series of studies, and as we've talked about many, many, many times on this program. He is out to get us, to break us down spiritually, to lead us into unfaithfulness, and thereby bring about our condemnation spiritually for all of eternity. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter, the apostle, tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion. Now, first he says he's our adversary. In other words, our enemy. And he says he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So 
he says that we need to be careful, we need to be aware, and diligently so, of the devil and his, and his ways. The next verse tells us that we can consistently resist him by faith or in the faith. Now, James talks about resisting the devil effectively and successfully in James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then in verse 8, he tells us how to do that, how to resist him so that he will flee from us. And James says simply, draw near to God. Walk with God. Live with God. And the devil will have no place in your life. Well, we've looked at the first six attacks that we're highlighting in this particular series of studies. The first one that most people would point to and quickly vocalize is they would say temptation. The devil uses temptation to bring us away from faithfulness and into unfaithfulness. He tempts us with all kinds of sins. Another one is worldliness. Oh, the devil is really good at making worldly living look good, even look godly. And he even is pretty adept in making godly living, righteousness, look bad. And so we need to be careful about that particular line of attack by the devil against our faithfulness. Another one is moral lapse. Always really skillful at painting immorality to look so alluring, so attractive, so pleasing, and, and, and he's good at making us feel like it's just overwhelming. I, I can't resist. But yes, we can with God's help. And the fourth one is doubt. One of the most effective ways that the devil can lead us into unfaithfulness to pull us away from God is to simply plant doubts in our mind about God, about Christ, and about the accuracy and authority of God's Word, the Bible. Number five we looked at was the importance of the church. And the devil, again, leads so many people to believe that they can somehow be spiritual without being religious. Now, that is an impossibility. You cannot be truly spiritual in the to the degree that God instructs he wants us to be, walking with him in faithfulness, serving him, being dedicated to him, worshiping him, without being a part of his church. In fact, the, book, the second chapter of the book of Acts, verse 47, tells us that the Lord adds those who are coming to salvation to the church. And the Apostle Paul, different times, refers to the church as the body of Christ. Now, do we think that we don't need to be a part of the body of Christ? Do we think we can still get to heaven without being a part of the body of Christ? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 tells us that we need the benefit of being together with the body, with the church, to worship God and study his word on a regular basis. We need to be there, and the church needs us to be there. We can draw off of each other's spiritual strength 
and that will help us all to stay faithful and become stronger in our faith before God. And also, God expects us to be together as the church to worship him. Now, the sixth one we looked at is persecution. And persecution can come in all kinds of forms. And it is a powerful means of attack that the devil uses against our faithfulness. It's, it can become very challenging to stay faithful in the face of continued persecution for our faith. Persecution. But again, if we will turn to God, if we will walk with him, if we will trust him and lean upon him, he will see us through. Now the last one we're going to look at is fear. Fear. Now fear certainly would be a result of persecution, but fear can stand apart from being persecuted. A person can be fearful in their faith without suffering the persecution that could lead to them being fearful. They can be fearful for other reasons, but fear can paralyze, and many never become Christians because they fear they cannot be faithful. Now, right there, they just fear they cannot live the life, and so they never become a Christian. In Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 9, we find the Apostle Paul on a journey. He is out in the sea on a ship. He's a prisoner, and there is a terrible storm going on. In Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, notice what God communicates to Paul. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. I said this was while he was on a ship at sea. That's another occasion. This particular one is when he is pursuing his ministry as a gospel preacher and also as an apostle of Christ in the city of Corinth. But he received a similar kind of, of, of uh, reassurance from the Lord when he was on that ship as a prisoner of the Roman government at sea. So both of these times, God talks to him and, and, and basically reassures him, you don't need to fear for your life. I'm going to take care of you in both of these cases. And ultimately, that was a principle that Paul recognized, applied to him all of the time as he, as he lived his life for Christ. Now think about the night of Jesus' betrayal. He's with the apostles in Jerusalem in a room where they're eating together the Passover meal. And during that time, he is teaching them a whole lot of kind of final lessons before he goes to the cross. Now, they don't know he's going to the cross. He knows it. It's going to be the very next day. Now, think about that, how threatening that could be to his apostles. And yet, in John chapter 14 and verse 27, he tells them this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Oh, he's reassuring them. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. I'm actually leaving peace with you. I want you 
to have peace. I want you to be assured. I want you to know that you don't need to be afraid, even though he knew he would be on the cross the next day. When the Apostle Paul wrote his second letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1 and verse 7, he talks to Timothy, but of course he's talking to all of us who would be faithful followers of Christ, and he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, a whole lot of people, they, they think about power from God and they almost immediately think about miracles. And that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the power of walking with God in faithfulness and having God watch over us and take care of us. He's talking about living for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and serving him on a consistent basis. And the God who created all of the universe will be there to watch over us. The power of God behind us in our faithfulness to him. So he says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. We don't need to walk around fearful, shaking in our boots all the time as a Christian. And then the Apostle John also wrote along this line in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Well, God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, redeemed from our, from our condemned lifestyle, and saved and given eternal life through Jesus Christ so that we could have that home in heaven with him for all of eternity. God loves us that much. Jesus loves us so much that he went to that cross and allowed his blood to be shed and his physical life to be taken to pay the price for the guilt of our sins so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and saved and have eternal life. Now that's how much God loves us and how much Jesus loves us, but they still love us on an ongoing basis as we walk with them. So, if we're always fearful in our faith, always fearful as Christians, then we're missing the peace of God that passes understanding, as Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We're missing that somehow. We need to recognize that God will keep his word. He loves us enough to take care of us and watch over us and to be with us and, and guide us through whatever the devil might throw at us or whatever life in this world might confront us with. Faith and faithfulness in God will overcome fear. Faith and faithfulness in God will help us to face whatever challenges or difficulties or potentially fearful situations that might present themselves before us in this world, in this life, and help us to remember, I don't have to fear. God is there. God will see me through. God will take care of me. We might feel confident when we think about, and a whole lot of people, maybe I should say, should feel 
would probably say, well, I'm confident that I'll never lose my faith in God or in Christ. Well, that may be the case. You may never lose your faith in God, but you might be in danger of turning away from faithfulness to God. And you see, that's a big problem. Remember that James said the demons in hell believe they have faith. They know that God exists, but they're still the demons in hell. But see, faithfulness to God is that ongoing, daily, consistent dedication and commitment to live by his teachings, to walk with him in faithfulness. And that's important. If we will do that, then we can beat the devil with God's blessing, with his help, because the devil has no place in the life of a person who is walking faithfully with God. Faith without faithfulness is dead faith. Remember the detail that James went into in James chapter 2, and we're not going to look at all of that detail. We're just going to pull out an excerpt here. James chapter 2, beginning with verse 17, he says, Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, now we could consider that faithfulness, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Steadfast faithfulness is imperative. It's what God expects from us. Not just lip service, saying, oh, I love you, God. Oh, I believe in you so much. Oh, I love Jesus. But you don't live by their teachings. Remember that Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, very pointedly, easy to understand, if you love me, keep my commandments. The sense being, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or in other words, you will live by my teachings. And if we will consistently live by God's word, by his teachings, then God will take care of us and walk with us. As long as we walk with him and hold his hand in faithfulness, he will never let go of our hand. And we will win and beat the devil. Don't let him be successful in his attacks on your faithfulness. Walk with God. Learn his word and live by those teachings. Now in just a minute, we'll tell you how to contact us. Do that. Write down that information. Get with us. Ask for the free Bible study. It will help you build your faith, come closer to God, and live before him in faithfulness on an ongoing basis. The study is free. We'll take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD, again free, and we'll take care of the postage. We hope to hear from you right away.